0: Hi there, welcome to the Colson Boutique Show. Uh, I'm joined by a member of the team, Matthew, whose passion for wine and experience in the wider financial markets steered him towards Colson Boutique. Uh, With so much uncertainty in the financial world, uh, and what we're gonna be looking into is some insight, some opinions, and which could be useful to any investors out there. So Matthew, thank you for joining us. How did you get into wine, and what gave you the confidence to make it your career?
1: Yeah, well, I was always, I've always enjoyed wine uh, with friends or family, but I was really in lockdown, I started doing the WSET qualifications, and that kind of really heightened my interest in wine. And at the same time, I saw a lot of uh, my peers in equity and derivative trading, moving into alternative assets. I thought that was a great opportunity to combine my interest in wine with a career in uh, portfolio management. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. And um, what led you to join the team at Colson Boutique? I was really uh, impressed by the team's attention to detail, uh, particularly when it came to client service levels. It reminded me a lot how we treated our pension fund and hedge fund clients in the bank when it comes to providing liquidity, market research, proprietary research and uh, extra things like podcasts.
0: And uh, what are we seeing currently in the economy?
1: Right now we're watching central banks walk a tightrope between managing inflation and economic growth Um, We've just seen last week that we have 9.1% inflation in the UK, which is the highest we've seen in 40 years. Uh, We're also seeing in the US them increasing interest rates to try and combat that. We're currently at 1.5 to 1.75% and we're expecting further rate hikes uh, of 75 basis points next month and 50 basis points the month after. Um, And also the ECB seem to be taking the same type of approach where they're going to target inflation ahead of economic growth.
0: And Are there any implications to this?
1: Yeah, there are trade offs. So when you tackle inflation, you put negative pressure on economic growth. Mm -hmm. So when you tackle inflation, you increase interest rates, which causes equity companies uh, more expense in borrowing. It causes uh, real estate prices to go down because of more expensive borrowing costs as well. You then also have a negative effect on fixed income markets. You increase the yield, you automatically decrease the price. These all have kind of negative recessionary effects. And then also at the same time, you have uh, a decrease in consumption because if you increase interest rates, you encourage more people to save as opposed to consume. All of these will increase uh, recessionary pressures.
0: And do you think we're heading towards a recession?
1: That's a good question. There are a number of indicators that would suggest we are. So earlier in the year, we saw the yield curve invert. So that's the Treasury yield curve between the 2 and the Mm 10-year. That would say investors are pricing in more short-term risk, which is an indicator in the past of recessions. We've also seen negative economic growth data in the UK in both uh, April and May. We saw negative PMI, so purchase manager orders, uh, this month as well, which is indicating new, uh, new growth is slowing down. And lastly, we saw the copper price drop 17 percent uh, this month, which is a, a good indicator of future industrial demand.
0: Right. And um, during the times of financial uncertainty, uh, investors can have a tendency to sit on their hands.
1: Do you think sitting tight is a valid strategy? Currently I would say no. A lot of times going into a recession, holding cash and buying a dip is a good strategy. But when you have inflation at 9% and expected to go up to 12%, that means you're losing 12% right away by sitting on your hands.
0: Uh, I also remember as well um, when the pandemic kicked in, lockdown was around March 2020. And uh, so we, we have an investor here who, um, who was heavy in Bordeaux. 100% of his portfolio was Bordeaux. And of course, like certain investment errors, they're going to be the ones that. Flatline, and there were going to be other ones that take off and he was a Bordeaux lover at heart so it was very difficult to try and get him to diversify away because i like no, nope, no, nope, no nope, I want to stay with Bordeaux long story short after we provided them with some stats facts and graphs he um, was happy to reposition 50% of his uh, portfolio into other areas like Burgundy as an example Italy, Champagne and 12 months on his Bordeaux performed 4% which is still better than what You'll see in, in other financial markets, sure. but his rest of the world portfolio, like the Burgundy's, the Rhone's, the Napa's, Champagne, the Italian, 25%. It's a system type, sometimes never the best strategy. And why is wine such a good investment in these markets? Well,
1: it's perfectly situated for a high inflationary, uh, low economic growth environment. Firstly, wine is an excellent inflation hedge, given it's both a consumable and a financial asset. But secondly, it's performed very well in recessionary markets in the past. So if we look back at 2008, when the uh, subprime mortgage crisis hit, uh, the S&P 500 was down 40% that year, while the LiveX, the main wine exchange, was only down 1%. Now, if we look more recently, for when COVID kicked off in Q1 2020, uh, the LiveX was down, no, sorry, the LiveX was up 1%, while traditional markets like the S&P were down 20%. And then if we take that even more recently to the start of this year, we've seen uh, the S&P 500 down 19% so far this year, while the LiveX is up 11%. And that just highlights the fact that there's very low correlation of wine to the equity market, which makes it a great diversification play, but also a great play when markets are difficult.
0: And what do you see uh, the biggest difference uh, between uh, professional retail investors?
1: I find retail investors uh, chase returns while professional uh, investors are a lot more worried about managing their risk so a great um, equation we used when we were managing uh, risk and looking at returns is called the sharp ratio where you adjust your returns for the amount of risk you're taking on um, and having a look at wine and how it correlates with other asset classes uh, in terms of risk adjusted returns over the last 15 years wine has outperformed equities commodities gold, uh, and fixed income, which makes it a great investment if you're trying to manage your risk while also uh, achieve a high return.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Actually, Daniel, uh, I have a question I'd like to ask you. Uh, So in recent times, we've seen the emergence of Napa Valley, Italy, and Champagne as great growth areas for wine investment. Do you feel these areas still have room for growth?
0: That's a very good question. Um, When we began the Colts Boutique show uh, back in... January of 2020, just before the pandemic. Myself and my colleague, uh, Spencer, we gave our predictions for what we feel will take off and do well. Um, And in particular, we highlighted Rome, which since then has performed 29%, uh, the Italy 100 Index, 29%, California 50, 32%, the LiveX 100, 35%, and the Champagne 50 has performed 69%. That more or less covers most of the untapped areas. In particular, you could argue that Rome is still relatively untapped when you look at uh, how rare they are, the high scores they've got, um, the long drinking windows they have. Um, you could also argue that Italy um, is not as well, was not as expensive as what Bordeaux is yet, although the quality is very similar um, and sometimes even better. So, when you look at your first growth board owes, 94 points costing £6,000, but you compare it to its um, sort of compatriots from Tuscan, like a or a which we get 97 points, but it's only £2,000. Sure, There's a big gap there that needs to be filled. Uh, and in particular Napa Valley too. They've been making wines for a long time, but they've only recently got on the map, so to speak. So uh, we still feel that, and I still believe that there is going to be a lot of room there a lot of untapped potential a lot of um like wine producers and wine names aside from the dominuses and the screaming eagles that's a yet to really accelerate at the forefront like a hundred acre and brands of that nature so i still feel um there is good untapped potential there irrespective of the kind of performances they've shown over the last couple of years so so matthew we, as an example last year we saw some explosive growth uh, in particular, we saw Salon, LeMesnil, uh, performed 80%. But we also saw Bitcoin, which has been all the rage, perform 60%. What is the difference between wine, champagne versus, say, the likes of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in terms of volatility?
1: It's a very good question. I mean, Bitcoin was all the news last year, up 60%. But if we look how it's done so far this year, it's down 55 It's similar to what we spoke about before when we're mentioning risk-adjusted returns i mean we got great returns last year from bitcoin but we've seen the volatility almost erode all those returns while wine is a far more established mature market where we don't see the same amount of volatility so if we look at the wine market last year i mean you mentioned champagne there it was up 40 percent last year which is great growth for any asset class but we're still seeing continued strong growth there this year up 12% this year to date so we just don't see those massive fluctuations in price and wine uh, as we do in more speculative assets like Bitcoin. There's a lot of alternative investments out there
0: whiskey, handbags, art. but how does the liquidity of those aforementioned areas compare to the liquidity of the fine wine market?
1: When we look at other alternatives, we've seen similar returns to that of wine. The thing that makes those investments a lot more risky is the fact that they're far less liquid. So it's both harder to get in and leave without affecting the price. One of the great things we have at Colton Boutique is we've perfected our liquidity management for our clients. So not only can we sell peer to peer, we also have our own online uh, retail store on corked. We have the LiveX Exchange, but on top of all those things, we have access to some of the best auctions in the world, like Acker and Zaki's. So this really helps us maximize the price uh, for our clients when they go to sell.
0: Well, it's a recipe for success. So That's we'll make it continue, but uh, Matthew, thanks for joining us once again. Great to be on, Dan. Hope you enjoyed the show, and um, until next time, take care.